Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Silo Moses. Silo is a real estate investor based in Las Vegas whose main real estate investing strategy is buying a portfolio of properties, often 100 properties per week, and then selling them piecemeal to his list of cash buyers. But more incredibly, just a few years ago, Silo was a homeless man who spent seven months on the street. And through persistence and using the power of broke, he came from very humble beginnings and now runs an Inc. 100 company. He runs his business with a mission to make sure no one goes hungry or gets denied the right of home ownership. So if you want to learn how to wholesale, quickly build rapport with sellers, and how to start from scratch, you need to listen to this episode. And now, on to the show. Okay, Silo, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you again, first and foremost, for having me on the show. My name is Silo Moses. I'm a real estate investor. also work with other investors to help them secure properties at a great discount as well as make a great return. Perfect. Uh, so Silo, where do you operate from and what's your favorite type of investing strategy? Yeah, I operate out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Favorite strategy right now is bulk purchasing single family homes. So how does that work? So essentially what we do is we buy properties from Bank of America and Wells Fargo. I'm not quite sure if we can use their names, but. <laughs> from some large we, institution. <laughs> financial institutions that are really large. Yeah. We buy properties from them and we buy them via REO and we buy them in bulk. So we buy them 10 properties, no less than 10 properties at a time. Sometimes we'll buy a portfolio that's upwards of 50 to 75 properties. And these are all REOs and they're nationwide single family homes. So when you're wholesaling, you're actually wholesaling because you have a big product and you are now, uh, I guess, selling them piecemeal to other people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So how does that whole process work? Because like, I've never heard of anyone going to Bank of America and getting 10 properties at once. The most that I've heard people do is they go and they buy one property off auction or they buy off one wholesaler. How do you get into buying properties from these big institutions? Yeah, it's a mix of a lot of things. You know, one as a company, we're, we're, I wouldn't say that we're known, but we are, right? I don't want to sound like we're tooting my, I'm tooting our own horn, but last year we were on Inc. 500 list. This year we're on Inc. 500 list once again, and we broke into the top 100 and we're at number 83. Wow, so nice. with that kind of exposure, that's when the banks start calling you. And when they start calling you, then you can set the terms of what you're looking to purchase. So we started setting the terms at buying no less than 10. And of course, taking you know, whatever they have available, maximum 50 to 75 homes at a time. And then what we started to do is we started buying up these properties uh, that are attractive to us. To give you an example, we would buy a portfolio of say 25 to 50 homes. Out of those 25 to 50 homes, we would keep 30 homes for ourselves. And then we would give our investors an opportunity to purchase the remaining properties out of that portfolio. So out of all of our investors, we're the biggest holders of real estate in our company. Wow. So of those 30 homes you keep, what do you do with them? What we do is we then provide them to families that uh, are uh, want to become homeowners, but have been turned away from the larger institutions due to maybe having a hiccup in their background. So you know, maybe they had a business at one point and that business went bankrupt. Maybe their credit score is so great. Maybe they have an eviction on their record. So we're kind of serving that subset of group of people who desperately want to become homeowners. They're hardworking blue collar people with families, but again, their income maybe doesn't allow them an opportunity to become homeowners. So they're stuck in that renter cycle. And they're stuck in that cycle with no way of getting out because there's no way that someone who makes, say, $35,000 a year working full time 
with three children, single parent, is ever going to have enough money saved up to put $20,000 on a home. Gotcha. So we give them an opportunity to become homeowners by lowering the entry into becoming homeownership by not you know, requesting $20,000 down. When they move into our homes, uh, we allow them to move in. It's just $3,000 down. You guys are basically the bank now at this point, right? You're giving them terms and you're seller financing. Right, exactly. So at this time, we offer them seller financing. So they're purchasing our home straight from us. They're getting them at a steep discount and they're getting them as is. So when they move into these properties, you know, they're going to do exactly what any family would do when they move into their properties anyway. They're going to repaint the walls. They might redo the floors. They might redo the cabinets in the kitchen. But every time they do something to the property, the property is gaining equity and that equity is theirs. So they now have the feeling of ownership, pride of ownership, everything they do to the property is building equity, which is going to create something for them that they could pass down to future generations. And of course, they're buying it at a very, very steep discount because they're buying the property as is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, great because now they own the property. They're not like tenants where they could potentially like trash it. Um, I guess they're just paying you guys their monthly mortgages. So you guys get passive income this way. Right. Correct. So to give you an example, so, and this is just an example of obviously these numbers can change. We buy the properties from these larger institutions, say around 35 to 40 cents on the dollar. We then flip those properties to our investors. Our investors buy them at 50 cents on the dollar. And then we go out and source the families to fill those homes for our investors. And we sell that same exact home to the family now at 65 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. So it is a scenario which we're very proud of that where everyone who's involved wins. It's not a, a zero sum you know, game where someone has to lose. This is everyone who's benefiting because of this home, right? It's because of the purchase. Everyone's benefiting. Yeah, that's a really cool strategy. But I'm sure you don't just start out with buying all these properties as a portfolio from a bank. How did you get started? How did you get to where you are now? We actually started buying properties three or four or five at a time, and then gradually worked up to no less than 10. And it came from uh, our founder, uh, Ivan, who's uh, you know, worked in finance for years. Right? So he already had these connections in place when we started purchasing these properties. And through those relationships, we were able to nurture one relationship and then nurture another, nurture another, to now, obviously, we have those relationships to where we get upwards of 5,000 properties sent to us every week. And we go through those properties and we pick the top 100 that appeal to us. And again, we'll buy, say, again, 30. And we'll give our investors who are within our network an opportunity to purchase the remaining you know, 60, 70 properties out of that portfolio of 100. So when you're given this list of like REOs from the bank, you're allowed to pick and choose which ones you want? Yeah, we pick and choose what we want out of the list and then we send the list back. And we'll pick and choose based on, you know, our criteria, what our terms are, where do we want to purchase? Where do we see properties that's easier for us to sell to our investors? You know, we like to stay in states where the minimum population or towns where the minimum population is 150,000 people and growing. We like good, strong numbers in employment. At this time, we like really great low numbers when it comes to COVID cases. We like to look at towns that, have a major football team or state with a major football team. So there's a lot of kind of demographics and terms and criteria that go into, you know, which properties we're going to choose out of the list of 5,000 and which ones we're going to send back. And then how does the bank determine the price to sell it to you? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not quite sure how they do it. I think what they do is they send us properties and what a number based on what they believe the condition of the property is in and if it's inhabitable. 
but we literally get them again, roughly around 35 to 45 cents on the dollar. Wow. And that's cool. So you don't have to really negotiate with them. They just have a number for you. And if you want it, you buy it at that price. Right, exactly. And the properties are nationwide. So one of the drawbacks is that we can't say, hey, we only want properties in New Jersey, or we only want properties in Texas or Florida. It's really whatever is available, they send us, right? So, which means our terms and what we're willing to purchase has to be uh, really strict for us to be able to find properties within that list of 5,000 that makes sense that we can sell and find a family to fill, mm -hmm. right? So it's got to be in an area that's not a major city, but the suburbs of the cities. We like to look at properties that are 30 minutes outside of any major city in any major state, right? So yeah. How do you finance this big portfolio when you make those purchases? Yeah, we purchase the properties ourselves. Or what we'll do is we'll reach out to our investors and give them an opportunity to purchase the properties. Now, when our investors purchase the properties, they're buying them with their own cash. So they own the properties. It's not like a REIT where everyone's getting a sliver of a portfolio when our investors come to us they're buying no less than five properties at a time and they're buying these properties and they own these properties out of that portfolio so going back to the hundred that we'll keep every week or every month uh, an investor steps in and wants five properties now we only have 95 properties available mm -hmm. right? basically it's because all cash plays right there's no lending involved, no appraisals no, no inspections yeah and there's no need for it either because the properties are so cheap Right. I mean, they're so cost effective. I mean, if you're getting five properties at 35 cents, 45 cents on the dollar, you're not spending any more than 300 grand for these properties. Wow. What are like yeah. the typical price points for each of the properties? Typical price point, which we like to sell to the end user, the families is generally around 85,000 okay. per property. Hmm. Uh, the investor will step in and get them closer to 45. Again, these, you know, these are just numbers, right? Uh, it all comes down to your, your strategy and what properties are available at what time and how much we purchase them for. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know, general number is that they'll buy the property for 40,000 and the family would buy that same property from our investor in our investor circle for 85,000. Yeah. And again, they're buying, the family is buying them at 65 cents on the dollar, which means the ARV on that property is probably 120. Solid strategy. I've never heard this before. So thank you so much for sharing this with us. Yeah. How often do you make these big purchases? Every week. So every week we were looking at, you know, we get 5,000 properties on average every week from these institutions. We'll go through those properties and our goal is to purchase a hundred at a time. And if we're able to do 50 at a time, that's fine too. But we purchase roughly 50 to hundred properties per week. Okay. So if my math is not wrong here, if you're buying them for around 20,000 a pop and you're buying about a hundred a week, is that 2 million a week? Roughly. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. When you sell the property to the end buyer, um, like you said, they don't have this giant down payment to pay you guys. Right. So right. how are you able to fund that to continue the cycle to keep buying more and more and more? So the investor purchases a property and they own them outright. So there's no mortgage on the properties they're bought with cash. The families that move in and buy the properties then pay every single payment to that investor who owns that property now. So the down payment, if say $3,000 goes straight to the investor and the family moves in and the, every time a family makes a, a payment uh, to the bank, the bank is the investor. The investor gets all of that. We don't take anything out of that at all. Right now on the back end, we do have a management arm to the business and we do manage the property for that investor. We'll manage the family. We'll source the family. We'll make sure that they meet the terms 
of being able to become homeowners through our program. And at any time, if they need to, if they are evicted, unfortunately, we'll handle the evictions. Plus, we'll find a new family. We'll put a new family in that home. Of course, that new family now has to also leave 3K down. And that 3K goes right back to the investor. Right. And this new family is ultimately trying to buy that home for themselves, right? Yeah, they're not renters. They're buying with the idea that they're going to become homeowners. They're going to own that property. Gotcha. All right. So I guess for you guys, you are selling your properties to your side of investors and that's how you're making enough cash to then buy the next wave the next week. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a relationship where everyone holds each other's hands, right? But Mm -hmm. within harmony. So to answer your question, we get a list of 5,000 properties. We want to hold a hundred of them. Us as a company, we'll buy 30 and then we'll send that list out to our investors and our investors will then buy the rest. And then their properties would be the ones that we sell to the families. So they're financing their own properties. They're Got coming it. in with 150,000, 300,000. They're buying three to five to six homes at a time. And then they're also seeing that money almost in a return because we find families within 60 days, 30 days, 60 days to buy that property from that, that homeowner. They're starting to see a, a almost a re- immediate return on their money. So you guys aren't just giving them the deal, but you're also helping them on the back end too, like helping them like offload the property to an end buyer. Yeah, absolutely. It's completely hands-free experience for our investors. Wow. And so yeah, how are you finding this like pool of cash buyers who are willing to do this process? Yeah, it's simply marketing, word of mouth, uh, referrals. Uh, we're very referral heavy. So in our investors, they're very happy. So they're quick to refer their friends and family and neighbors. So most of everyone who invests with us now has come to us in some way or shape or form through a referral. And how long have you guys been doing this process? Seven years. No, sorry, five years. Gotcha. So I guess, yeah, it's been a while now and your name has been out there. Like you said, Inc. 100, that's pretty big. I mean, congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. How do you guys even get part of that, like that listing? You know, that would probably be a a question best answered by Ivan. (laughs) I'm not sure how we made the list. It was just announced that we did. And then then I went and checked and I went, wow, we are. So I'm not quite sure how we got nominated or how we made it so high up on the list. But yeah, it's always an honor. Yeah. I feel like you guys have a super solid system where you guys are getting, like, I think one of the biggest problems that investors have now is that they have a lack of deal flow. But you guys are getting 5,000 deals every single week. And you're buying yeah. a bunch. Like, what would you recommend for a, a new investor who's just getting started? For a new investor getting started with us, you know, there is a qualification process that they have to go through. You know, we want to make sure that they're a great fit for us as we are a great fit for them. So there is steps that they have to go through prior to being approved as an investor and part of our circle. But what they want to keep in mind before they reach out to us and if they're interested is, you know, we, we have a mission where we want to help as many families as possible. So we're looking to help 10,000 families by 2025 become homeowners. And there is a philanthropy part to our business where, you know, we have a philanthropy mindset, you know, the families that move in again, it's a subset of families who otherwise would not be approved by larger financial institutions for a loan and for home ownership. And we're giving them an opportunity to become homeowners through us by using us as that platform. Now, these are families who potentially at some point might fall behind on their payments a month, 60 days, things happen, it's life, car breaks down, medical emergency, et cetera. So the investors who come to us have that 
give back kind of philanthropy mindset where if we have a family in one of their properties who needs 60 days to recover from financial emergency that the the investor isn't going to immediately kick them out and fill the house with a different family so and by the way of course that money is paid back to that investor in full plus fees right but we ask that our investors before they get involved with us that they have a giving heart i know that you know those two generally don't go in the same sentence as investments <laughs> right but we want to make sure that the right person is involved with us so we, we tell investors no uh, more than we tell investors yes if they'd make a good fit for our model right so that is one thing that we look for for investors you know to us it's it doesn't matter how much cash you have doesn't matter how many properties you want to buy from us doesn't matter if the model makes absolutely 100 percent sense to you we are looking for a very specific kind of hands-off hands-free investor uh, who has a giving heart who wants to make an impact in communities make an impact in families who otherwise would never be become homeowners without us right and i know we talked about this offline but do you want to share why you have this goal in mind I mean, a few years ago, I went without a home. So uh, a few years ago, I was homeless. So, you know, this vision and mission that we have is very dear to me because I've been there. I know what it feels like. I know what it tastes like. You know, I went seven months in Las Vegas without a home, without an address. You know, I look at homelessness kind of like in layers. You know, homelessness, you have layer number one, which is you don't necessarily have your own place, but you're crashing on a couch somewhere with a friend or family member. You know, layer number two is you don't necessarily have friends or family members that you could stay with and crash a couch on, so you're sleeping in your car. I was on level three, where I didn't crash on any couches. I didn't have a car to sleep in, so I slept, you know, in public places and, you know, found food and ate food wherever I can find it, which included dumpsters. And did that for seven months, right? So I know exactly what it's like to be rejected by, you know, not only society, but to be rejected by you know, large corporations who deem you not valuable or not worthy enough to get a loan to own a home, right? So we now provide a platform that allows people to do that who otherwise, again, would be rejected by those larger institutions because I personally know what it feels like to be in their situation. That's awesome. And I feel like that's probably why you guys are so successful because you're not just doing it for the money, you know, you're doing it for a higher purpose. And I feel like that drives you more than just money. Right, exactly. Which that drive, and again, goes back to the investors. So when, why we tell investors no more than we tell them yes, you know, it, it's, we want to make sure they're the type of investors who match our vision and want to make sure that those are the type of investors who we want to be friends with and, you know, meet up with and have dinner with, right. And meet their family. We want to make sure that they're aligned with us and not only our vision makes sense to them, but their vision makes sense to us and yeah. mission. I mean, you got to pick the people that you want to work with and be around at all times. Yeah. I mean, we could be a much larger institution today if we just allowed any investor to come on board who had a million dollars in cash and said, I want to buy, you know, 200 properties from you today. Mm -hmm. We would be a much larger organization, but because our mission drives our vision and our business model, uh, we're not that large of a company and that's okay with us. Mm -hmm. Are there any other qualifications that you look for in your investors? Just the fact that they have to have that philanthropy mindset. They have to be people who want to help give back. They want to be people who, yes, they want to make a great return because our returns, our investors, believe it or not, on average, see 8%. And during COVID, they've been seeing upwards of 12% returns. Wow. So they're getting exceptional returns, right? But again, the returns are just a, a, a benefactor. 
right? They're a benefactor to the impact that we're making in the families and communities that we're changing through real estate. So you guys don't have like an income requirement or net worth requirement, like they have to be an accredited investor to invest with you guys? Not at, no, not at all. Okay. You know, most of our investors, again, come through referrals. And these are investors who have IRAs and they just simply want to move their money from their IRA into now home ownership. And, you know, they want to be real estate investors now. And again, it's a hands-free experience because most of our investors come from those who are used to a hands-free experience through their IRAs. You know, their IRAs aren't necessarily hands-on investment. So when we created this model, we wanted to create a model that matched that of an IRA, but gave them better returns and gave them an opportunity to make an impact on families and community. I guess as a general guideline, since you do require them to buy in bulk as well. So they're buying about five properties at 40K each. They should probably have around 200K in savings to invest with you guys. That's true. Yeah. So the very minimum is 150K. And yeah, we only sell in bulk. So we, we do not sell, you know, one property at a time. It's just not our model. Yeah. I mean, it'd probably be too much work to do that, right? If, especially when you're dealing with so many at, at the time. Right. Exactly. And again, it just makes sense to be able to purchase three or four at a time because going back to single family homes, if you buy one home and we have to evict a family for any reason whatsoever, and that home now sits vacant for two months until we find the next family to move in, you're now paying holding costs. Your investment is impacted significantly. But if you own 10 properties and one family has to move out and you sit on that house for two months while we, you know, find another family, source another family, you barely feel the impact of that. Mm, gotcha. Can you tell us your story of how you went from homelessness to where you are now? Yeah. So I was working a, a desk job, you know, basic job, nine to five. And at this time I just had my son. So my son was just a baby and no one ever prepares you for how expensive <laughs> kids are. And at this time, I was all working paycheck to paycheck. So, you know, I was working paycheck to paycheck. I had my nose and my head above water. My son was born and then it just sank me. And, you know, no one prepares you for how expensive diapers are. No one prepares you for how expensive baby food is and how quickly they grow in and out of clothing. And little by little, I started to fall behind on bills. So at the point where I went homeless, I was already 30 days behind on my rent. I was already 60 days behind on my car payment. I was working a daytime job where I was making 40,000 a year, you know, in Vegas, that's actually not bad. But again, at the same time, it wasn't enough. And I went into work one day and the big boss was there and the big boss, we never saw him unless it was the holidays or he was there to hand out commission checks. Right. Uh, so it was very rare and to see him in the office. And I walked in at this time, I'm managing a team. We're a call center where we have big clients. I had a healthcare client who we were working for in my team of seven agents. And I was the manager for my team. And I would get there bright and early, first one in the office, always the last one to leave. And I walked into the office, the big boss was there and very rare. Again, before I even sat down, he said, Hey, I need to talk to you. Meet me in my office. So very quickly went to his office before I even sat down in the chair at his desk in his office. He says, I got to let you go. And it didn't make any sense to me because my team was overperforming. We were making a ton of money for not only our client, but for my boss. And of course I said, well, what do I do? What do I do wrong? He said, absolutely nothing. You're stellar. You're a rock star. Your team is great. He said, but I uh, just got to let you go. And I said, well, what is it? You know, to me, it's, it's an easy fix. Just tell me what we need to fix and we can do it. He says, well, I'm paying you too much. And I said, well, okay, that's great. That's fine. I mean, I can't afford it, but I'll take a pay cut. 
right? So 30,000 a year, just until whatever you're going through, until we're able to get through this, I'll take a pay cut, 30,000 a year. And then once we're through this, we can bump it back up to 40 or whatever. I said, can't do that. I said, okay, well, I need this job. So, I mean, if I have to, I'll step down from management and I'll work on the phones with my agents. And they said, can't do that either. And I said, why? I said, well, because if you work next to your agents, they would wonder why their manager is now on the phones with them and it would cause confusion and they wouldn't perform. And I said, okay, well, that, that, kind of, that makes sense. But he said, what I can do is I will pay you this week a severance paycheck. So you, you can't work. You have to go home right now. You no longer work here. But if you show up Friday, I'll give you a severance paycheck and I'll pay you as if you did work. Would that help? And I said, absolutely. Yes. Again, 30 days behind on rent, 60 days behind on my park, car payment, anything at this point will help. I left the office, came back Friday of that week as early as I usually do. First one there at the building. And as soon as I walked up to the building, there's a huge padlock this big on the door of our office. And what I come to find out is that the same company that couldn't afford to pay me couldn't afford to pay their rent. And they got kicked out of the building two days later. The owners of the company got up and left Vegas. I have no idea where they are today. And that Friday, when I went to get my severance paycheck, I never got paid. So I called my landlord immediately and said, hey, listen, you're, you're not going to believe what happened. I know I promised you a paycheck this week and I know I'm behind. And he says, Silo, do you have rent? And I said, no, but you don't understand. He says, Silo, do you have rent? I said, I don't. He says, you have till Monday to come up with rent. If not, I'm kicking you out. So of course, that entire weekend, I sold everything that was not you know, nailed down to the ground. <laughs> I sold my couch. I sold TVs. I sold whatever I could. Come Monday, I got, I raised about 900 bucks. Rent was 1200. He's knocking on my door at 6 a.m. He's got the constable there, which is, you know, basically the police. And he says, hey, do you have rent? I go, I got 900. He goes, it's not 1200. He goes, constable looks over his shoulder, looks at me and goes, you have 15 minutes to grab whatever you can and get out. And that was day one of homelessness. I basically packed a bag in a bag that I threw over my shoulder that had three t-shirts and two pairs of jeans. I packed a bag for my son, who was a baby at that time. I gave my girlfriend at the time, his mom, the 900 bucks. I said, here, take this, take the car and, and go. Because I have no idea what I'm going to do next. And I can't support you and I can't support him. She took the car, she took the cash and took him. And then she went back to her original state to live with her parents. And for me, I have no family here in Vegas. I, at that time, didn't have any friends that I knew of. I was just always constantly working, trying to pay bills and keep my head above water. So I didn't have time to build relationships and friendships. So I had nowhere to go, no address, no home, suddenly evicted, no cash in my pocket, a duffel bag with three t-shirts and two pair of jeans and find myself sitting on a curb uh, on a sidewalk going, what am I gonna do next? That's incredible. Like, I don't even know how. So what did you do after that? The only thing I could do, which I went back to my job, believe it or not. <laughs> I went back to my job, even though they're not there anymore. They got kicked out of the building. They're not there. I went back to that building because it's the only thing that I knew that was I was familiar with. I had no idea where to go, who to talk. I, I didn't know. It's not like you, you sit at home and you're Googling, you know, what to do if I ever go homeless. So I had no idea where to go, what to do. So I went back to the building in which, you know, my old office was at. And the only reason I went there is because that building had an underground garage. And I knew I could find some kind somewhere, crevice, somewhere where I can at least try to get some sleep, where I'd be protected from the elements. 
right? And not noticed. Mm -hmm. So I went back to that building and I, I basically found a crevice somewhere and I basically sat in that crevice to try to figure out what the heck I'm going to do next. So then for the next seven months, what did you do to end up to get out of that situation? It's funny because, you know, six, seven months in, I don't even look like myself. I lost a tremendous amount of weight. I'm skin and bones at this time because at this point, because I'm not eating. I had a, a massive beard, which is completely blown out. My hair is blown out. I'm in the same clothes I've been wearing for six, seven months. They're ripped or torn or dirty. I'm sure I don't smell good. And I got into the habit of hanging out at a nearby 7-Eleven. And I'd hang out there near a garbage can. And people who walked by me knew I was homeless. I couldn't hide it. There's, there's just no way I was hiding it at this time. And I hung out at this 7-Eleven near a trash can because I quickly realized that people who drove sports cars who kept changing their pocket, well, when they got out of their sport cars, what would happen? You know, getting in out of their sports cars, a change would fall out of their pocket, hit the ground, and they'd leave it there. So the second a sports car would roll up, like a two-door sports car, very low to the ground, and I'd hear them get out, and I would hear ding, 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 change falling out of their pockets. Oh, I was like an eagle. <laughs> I was like a hawk at a second, you know, to them, it's just, Oh, that's just 35 cents. Who cares? You know, get out of their car, make their way into the Seven Eleven. I would run literally around the back of their car, scoop up that 35 cents and then run back to the garbage can. And I would do this for six, seven hours straight and just collect as much change as possible to get something to eat. And then hanging out at the Seven Eleven, there was this guy who would just come up all the time and his name was Eric. And he came up to me one day and he just sat down next to me. He goes, Hey man, what's your name? Now this time, keep in mind, it's seven months in In seven months, not one person has spoken to me. Not one person has said my name. Not one person has said hi, held the door open for me, even acknowledged that I was alive. Right? So I'm literally a ghost. You know, people don't even look in my direction. And here comes this guy who sits down, who says, Hey, what's going on? So, and at the end, and I haven't talked to anyone in seven months. So I immediately look at him and go, get away from me. <laughs> it's the only thing I could muster up, right? <laughs> like, what do you want from me? Get away from me. Like, dude, like, like I'm homeless. Well, what could you possibly take from me? But I'm like, get away from me, right? <laughs> what do you want from me? And he just kept coming by every day. Every day he'd come by, he'd bring a sandwich, he'd be like, here you go, bro. And he would just tell me, hey, one day, you know, you're going to do big things. One day you're going to be amazing. One day you're going to make an impact. And I'd, I'd look at him like, are you kidding me? I'm seven months in, homeless, eating out of garbage cans. You're talking to the wrong person. Don't fill my head with that kind of crap, right? Uh, and he was just really persistent to the point where I started to eventually believe him. And just changing my thoughts, being around him and him inspiring me that way and giving me that vote of confidence allowed me to change my thoughts where I started looking at the world differently. I started looking at my situation differently. I started asking myself different questions so I can get different answers, right? And the more questions that I asked myself that were different, the better my answers got, the more excited I got about making a change. And one day he came to me at that 7-Eleven. He said, hey man, he said, I have this office that I rented out a very small office. My partner and I decided to go our separate ways and we're, we're not going to run the business anymore and we're actually going to shut it down. He says, in this office, we have furniture in there. We didn't pay the rent on it though and we don't plan on paying the rent on it this month. And as a matter of fact, if they go in there and close up that office, that suite and throw everything out, we don't care. We don't need it. But he said, I still have the key. So if you want the key, I'll give it to you. And I said, heck yeah. Right. So, and to me, it wasn't a key, it was an opportunity. 
So I grabbed that key and I lived out of his office, his abandoned vacant office, which was literally 12 by 10. This was not a massive office. It was the size of most people's closets. And I lived out of that office. And the great thing about that office is because while this office was located on a part of town, which wasn't really the greatest part of town. So what they did to entice investors and entice business owners to rent out their suites was they would include everything. They would include all the utilities in your rental space. So it would include your electricity, your internet, everything's included. So the second I got access to that office, I realized one, electricity, two, a computer. And I asked him, I said, is that computer hooked up to the internet? He goes, yeah. And that's all I needed. I spent eight hours a day on that computer, like filling out uh, applications, you know, sell oranges by the street, haul rocks, you know, commission only sales. Like what, I didn't care what it was. I filled out, I would submit my application a thousand times in a day if, if I could. And from daybreak to day to when the sun goes down, I'm submitting online my application everywhere. And eventually I just started to go on job interviews. And I went on about 36 interviews on the 37th interview, sorry, 37 interviews. I heard 36 ways you can tell somebody no. No, you're just not right now. No, you're not what we're looking for. You know what, we'll call you in a week. But that very last interview I went on, the guy hired me. And it was a commission-only job. And the only thing I can tell you is the only reason he hired me is because he wasn't losing anything. If I didn't create money, if I didn't create sales, I didn't get paid. Mm-hmm. Right. But again, I didn't need the job. I needed an opportunity. So just like my old job, I was in the first one in the office, last one to leave. I studied everything I could about that job. It was a moving company that did long haul moves for people who were moving from one house to another. So if they lived in California and they're moving to New York and wanted all their belongings shipped. You know, the company I worked for would send out a truck, 18 wheeler and send out, you know, six man crew. They'd load up your house on this 18-wheeler and drive it cross country for you and unload it. And I was a sales guy that put those deals together, right? So I studied everything I could about the business and the industry. Within 30 days, you know, I'm outselling the senior reps. Uh, Within 60 days, I'm number one in the company, right? And in 90 days, I saved enough money to rent the room out of somebody's house. Wow. And then I just started to build my life over from there. It's an amazing story. For these sales jobs, how do you even go about becoming like the top sales rep? Because isn't it like they have a need and then they'll call you? How do you reach out to these people? Yeah, I mean, I worked it just like we work our business today, referrals, right? So we had an 800 number where people call in and I sat at a cubicle. No one sat near me, by the way, because I'm still homeless and I haven't showered, right? So, and I'm sure people were talking about me at the water cooler every time they got an opportunity to like, well, how come this guy doesn't take a shower? How come he looks like he's homeless? Right. That's because I was, but we sat at this cubicle. We had a website, 800 number commercials on TV. People would call in, you know, I would, you know, do my just best to book them. And I did. And then when I booked them after their move, I would call them back the very next day. Most people in the office weren't doing this. It was like a one and done for them. But for me, I was looking to build relationships. So I'd call them and I would say, hey, how was your move? Looking for some feedback, et cetera. Tell us where we can do better. By the way, do you know anyone else who happens to be moving as well within the next 30 days? And they would say, yeah, my mom is moving or my uncle is moving. Oh, my neighbor is moving. Here's their name and phone number. Give them a call. Great. Do you mind if I mention your name when I call them? Absolutely. And I would call them and say, hey, listen, I just spoke with Barbara. In case you don't know, we're the moving company. I moved her from Cali to New York. My name is Silo. She mentioned that you happen to be moving too within the next 30 days. What can I help you to get ready for that move? What can I do? And yeah, that's how I, I 
basically outsold everybody. It was just working my network. I worked every single client like they were my best friend. That's awesome. And so how did you get into real estate investing? So I got into real estate after I got back on my feet. I started a, a, a volunteer organization and we went out to the community. Uh, as soon as I got back on my feet, I went right back into the homeless community and started serving them. And I started serving them with fresh food, clothing, hygiene, haircuts. And we do these massive events where we'd have 250 volunteers come out on any single given day. And we're serving upwards of 800. The biggest serve that we ever did on Thanksgiving day was 3000 plates. And so this organization, when I started, I knew two things. One, I didn't want to become a nonprofit. And two, I didn't want to beg for money. Even when I was homeless, I didn't pander. So I didn't want to be with that, that organization in the community that's constantly asking for money. Hey, we need your support. Hey, can you donate? Hey, can you do this? You know, gala with us. Hey, can you come to our 5K run? It's only $100 a ticket. I didn't want to be that company. So to support our work in the community, I started getting into real estate. And I said, okay, well, if I can get into real estate and I can use the profits from real estate, those profits from real estate, if I take a portion of those profits and gear it towards my philanthropy work in the community, well, then that means my work here in the community would be sustainable. And I wouldn't have to rely on a 5k run or another dinner, right. Or another fundraiser. If I need funds, I could just go sell a house. So that's what I did. So I did everything. I studied real estate top to bottom. It took me about 30 days and I was uh, already talking deals with homeowners within this next and within the first 60 days. Now, when you were first getting started, what were you doing to even get I was doing, people? I was wholesaling. So like door knocking, wholesaling. cold calling? Like, how are you getting in touch with these wholesalers? Cold calling, door knocking, handwritten letters. I, you know, at night, right before I go to bed, I put into practice to write 50 letters. And I would buy lists from local title companies. And I would handwrite letters to those home homeowners. Like, hey, my name is Silo. You know, I know this might seem random and weird, but I'm writing in regards to your property at, you know, XYZ Main Street. I'm wondering if you'd be interested in an all cash offer. You know, if so, feel free to give me a call. Here's my number. And then at the same time, while I'm putting this into practice, I'm also during the day speaking to everyone who comes out to volunteers with us. Hey, do you know anyone who invests in real estate? Do you know anyone who's got cash right now? You know, and I started to accumulate a cash buyers list just through going out and doing naturally what we were doing in the community. And as soon as I had a cash buyers list, then I got really aggressive with the real estate side. And I started closing, you know, wholesaling and flipping deals very quickly uh, to the point where the first year I was in business, I flipped a million dollars in real estate. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. So, and I used the proceeds to run our organization, which I've had all the way up to March of this year. And I ran it for, well, continue to run it for about five and a half years. Wow. And never took a dollar from the community. They did it all through real estate. Mm -hmm. And then over time, you just built it to a point where now you have banks and you hundreds of deals every single week. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What would you say was like, I don't know if you have one, but do you have like a biggest mistake that you've done so far in your real estate career or a big lesson learned? Hmm. I don't know. It's a great question. I look at everything as learning opportunities. So I wouldn't really call them mistakes. What I would say is that real estate at time does take patience. And sometimes I'm very go, 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 go. Like let's do this right now, now, now. And sometimes I think the one thing I can learn is to be a lot more patient, especially when you start getting into bigger deals. I would just say the resilience, but the resilience was there because I needed it for going from homeless back to getting back on my feet. So I, did, I don't know how to answer that question, to be honest with you. 
but yeah, we're... patience has your impatience ever caused any problems with any of your deals? Like you almost screw something up because you're impatient. Yeah. I, and sometimes with my deals, I can come across uh, a little aggressive, but I'm not being aggressive. It's just that I'm very hands-on with my deals and you literally have to tell me to stop calling you for me to stop calling you. <laughs> right? You have to silo, stop calling me. <laughs> right? Okay, fine. That's all you had to say. <laughs> right? Sometimes that does lose deals because sometimes people, you know, they want to be nice. They want to hurt your feelings. And sometimes they'll just stop answering the phones and I've lost deals that way. But for those who like that kind of approach, more often than not, I get homeowners and business partners to say, you know what, Silo, the only reason I'm working with you is because you're so darn aggressive. Yeah. Persistence is important. You know, talking to somebody for six times, they're like, wow, this guy is really on top of his stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'll call the same person nine times in a day until they answer. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, I mean, I don't know any other way of doing things. Right. And I'm not being aggressive. I'm a, I'm a kind hearted, nice guy. Right. But it's just, that's my work ethic. How about now? Like, what is a day in the life of a successful real estate investor? Man, my day starts at 4 a.m. in the morning and I don't go to bed till 11 at night. And what do you do between 4 and 11? All I do is real estate. So, I mean, I do a lot of meditating. I do a lot of reading of, to give you just a quick breakdown. I'll wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'll get up. I'll pray, brush my teeth. I'll do my morning exercise routine for about 45 minutes. Then I'll read 10 pages in a book that I'm reading currently. Then I'll meditate for 15 minutes and I'll do another form of kind of I am prayers. So it's like, I am a kind person. I am money motivated or whatever that is. Right. So I'll do that for 15 minutes. I'll eat breakfast. Then I'll look at my to-do list. Then I'll look at my calendar. And then by this time, it's roughly around 8, 39 AM. And then I start hitting the phones. So even now, even though you're getting, you know, hundreds of deals from banks sent to you, you're still cold calling other people. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Is there a reason why you like hitting the phones instead of, like, I know some friends, they like to outsource a lot of that kind of work. They have to outsource the mail, they have to outsource the phone calls. Why do you still go out there and make the phone calls yourself? I believe that real estate isn't about properties. It's about relationships and people. And the best way to get to know those people is to talk to them one-on-one. So I want to know what's going on in the minds of, you know, a homeowner. And I can't get that by paying telephone, playing telephone with a VA. Yeah, that's true. Right. So I want to be on phone with that homeowner and find out what's going on in their mind in real time. And those relationships is where, and again, I'm very heavy on referral and I only get those referrals by creating great relationships with homeowners, right? Whether I sell them or not, if I create an amazing relationship with that person, whether it's on the phone for 45 minutes, we're calling them nine times in a row until they answer, right? Even if I end up buying their home or not, they're going to refer me to someone who is selling. And they'll say, hey, call me back in 90 days, call me back in six months, and they'll answer. Yeah. And so what do you say to them to get them to talk to you for that you know, 10, 30 minutes without them hanging up on you in the first five seconds? It's funny because I don't say anything. I just ask the right questions. <laughs> what, what questions do you ask? To <laughs> well, you know, I don't make it about the property because, again, real estate, to me, my opinion, you know, real estate isn't about property. It's about relationships and people. So I have something that's called, you know, form, right? So when you're speaking to someone, I want to get them to kind of open up and tell me about themselves, tell me about their family. So F is family, O is occupation, R is recreation, and M is motivation. So F, let's talk about your family. So how long have you lived in California? 
You know, are you, you know, the oldest or are you the youngest? How large is your family? You know, do you have a family yourself? Oh, you have a dog? Great. What's the name of your dog? How long have you had your dog? Oh, it's a great breed, right? It, you talk about everything else but the property. And then you go into recreation. What do you like to do for fun? Where do you travel? Where have you traveled? Do you like traveling there? Would you travel there again? Oh, occupation. What do you do for work? Oh, that's great. How long have you done that? Do you like the company you're working at? Where do you see yourself working at if you weren't working there? And then M, finally, we get to the property where we talk about motivation. Still haven't talked about the property yet. So tell me, what's kind of the reason why you're looking to sell, honestly? Well, you know, the property is just, you know, I'm getting older. The property, you know, it takes too much to maintain. Okay, gotcha. What about family members? You don't want to leave the house to your, your oldest son? No, he doesn't want to get into real estate. Okay, great. And then once we get to motivation, we've already created a relationship on the phone where they're now giving me the real answers to why they're selling versus, oh, I'm just selling just because. Mm-hmm. Or I, um, I'm just selling because, yeah, I just don't want it anymore. Or I own three properties and you know, I just don't like this property anymore, right? Which are all surface level rejections. So like you mentioned, by the time you get to motivation, you've already built rapport. You've been talking to them for 10, 20 minutes by now. But imagine I call someone out of the blue. They go, hello. And I say, how's your family doing? You know, how long have you lived here? They'd be like, what is this? How do you, how do you bridge that gap between picking up and like getting them to start opening up to you? Yeah. Well, within the first 30 seconds, I'm telling them who I am, why I'm calling and what I stand for and what we do as a business. Right. So I'll say, hi, you know, hi, Sean, my name is Silo. I'm calling from equity and help I'm a real estate investor. I, you know, I own a few properties in the California area where you're in and just to be honest with you. I'm looking for one more property this month. We've got a little extra cash in the budget to be able to do so. And, you know, we're not your typical investors. We buy properties for families who are otherwise rejected by big financial institutions who will never have the opportunity to come home and over without us. So if that's something that's really cool to you, I'd really like to talk to you about your property. Yeah, that's good. I really like right. the part where you talk about your business and the, your, your message behind it. Uh, I think that definitely separates you compared to all the other like, investors. Like, I own properties in Jacksonville, Florida. I get calls from these other wholesalers from Jacksonville all the time. So whenever I see like, a 904 number, I immediately don't pick up anymore because I know they're all <laughs> right. like, virtual assistants or just someone who wants to you know, buy the house. Right, yeah, exactly. And then we'll go into a little bit about the house and then I'll go into form. So as soon as we dip into the house itself, we'll dip out of that and go into family, occupation, recreation, and motivation. We wouldn't even talk about the property. The only time we talk about the property is when I ask them, can you tell me a little bit about it? And they'll say, yeah, I've owned it for 30 years. It's great. It's got great bones, great roof, et cetera. Okay, great. You know, uh, by the way, so does your family live at the property with you? No, no, no. It's a rental property. Oh, okay, great. So uh, speaking of family, uh, is there's no one in the family you'd leave the property to if you're looking to sell it? No, no, you know, I could pretty much use the money. Okay, gotcha. And you basically go into family. So, you know, I'm originally from Jersey. Where are you originally from? Oh, I'm originally from California. Oh, it's great. How do you like the weather there? You must love it. Oh, yeah, I love it. But politics, blah, blah, blah. Right. And you just start getting into that conversation. Yeah. But the the last thing that we talk about is the property until it's time to talk about the property. Makes a lot of sense. So imagine you are helping out a brand new real estate investor who maybe doesn't have too much money. What kind of advice? would you give them to get started? So they're an investor. So they're looking to invest in real estate. Yeah. You know, like, imagine in your situation, you're brand new, you're trying to get into it. What are we going to do in 2021? Yeah. It depends on what they're looking to do, right? What is their aim? Are they, are they more of a hands-free investor? They want to pick up a hammer, 
you know, they want to rehab, they want to wholesale, they want to buy hold. They, it depends on what their strategy is. I would say if they're, what we're used to dealing with is a hands-free investor. I would say to get started with us simply, it's very simple. You know, if you have, you know, money in your IRA, which you're only receiving, say, four to five to 6% on, you know, work with us. If you're an investor who matches our vision and mission for what we're looking to do in the world and the impact that we're looking to make, you know, you can get 10, 12, 15% return on that money on average. You know, yeah. And the easiest way to do that would be to work with us, buy three to five properties at a time out of our portfolio. We'll manage the properties for you. We'll put a family in those properties. And every month you'll get a stipend, a check in the mail for the impact that you're making. And you'll also get a story on the family that's moved in and how becoming homeowners now has changed and impact their lives in a positive way. Right. And we have investors that come in and invest with us. They'll buy five homes six months later because they've seen the impact that they're making. They'll buy an additional five a year later. They now own 15 properties and they're buying them all through us. Nice. And how can people get in contact with you? Yeah. The best way to do that, uh, they can always give me a call. My number 702-582-9723. Again, you know, I'm a guy who likes to be on the phone. So don't be surprised if we're on the phone for about 45 minutes when you call, but they can give me a ring at that number. They can always, you know, connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn as well. And they can always go to our website, equityandhelp.com. And they fill out any forms on our website. Just say, Hey, I'm looking to talk to Silo. All right, Silo. Well, this has been an amazing episode. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Do you have any last tips before we finish off the show today? Last tips? Let's see. I would say there's, there's three things in which I believe. And I would say, one, believe in what you stand for. So what that means is first you have to stand for something, right? So figure out what you stand for. Believe what you stand for. Figure out what makes you different out of 8 billion people in the world. And don't be afraid to be who you are. And I'd say, let that lead every decision you make moving forward in life. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Silo, thank you again so much for being on the show today. Thanks a lot. I'll see you guys later. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to the show and leaving a review to get updated when the latest episode comes out. A brief summary of this podcast can be found in the show notes at everythingrei.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.